0: And I think you have to take into context that it's also the non-traditional way of writing a graphic novel as well. And I'm trying to promote the idea of being ideas rich. The Treble craft is the promise that in the future, there'll be something beautiful and creative and inspiring to come.
1: Hello and welcome to The Common Creative. My name is Chris Meredith. And I'm Paul Fairweather. And this week's guest, Daniel Best, is Chief Executive of Walters Consulting, uh, based in Brisbane, and also a trained
2: lawyer. And not only that, Chris, and what we actually spoke to Dan about is the fact that he was the author of a graphic novel. um, And right at the end, tells tells us that he's also has another
1: particular skill which you'll have to listen to the end of the podcast to find out what that is (laughs) (laughs) so get ready for learnings about creative collaboration about the impact of creativity on mental health and don't worry not too much about law and operations let's get him in yeah let's get him in dan best welcome
2: to the common creative podcast thanks paul thanks very excited
1: to have you on the show dan
2: So, Dan, we're going to jump straight in, and we want to ask you about you writing or being the author of the book The Amazing and Remarkable Adventures of Monsieur Leotard. So uh, this is an illustrated book or an illustrated novel, and you wrote the words and someone else did the illustrations, but we're very interested in how it came about uh, and, and how you actually, the process that you went through to write this book.
0: Yeah, so... Um... The graphic novel, I suppose, um, has been a, a format um, that's really become quite popular over the last 30, 40 years um, and had its kind of origins in kind of traditional comics, I suppose. Um, and then the genre or format kind of expanded um, from there. Um, I'd always been interested in comics. So i had been a big comic fan since my youth and... Um, and um, one of my earliest memories as a child um, was going down to um, Cotton Tree at the Sunshine Coast to the secondhand bookstore and, and my father kind of introducing me to the, to the secondhand books. So he would get on the holidays, he would get his novel and his old paperbacks and, and then he'd go, oh, go rummage around in the, the box and grab yourself some comics. Um, and that was my kind of introduction to that kind of um, illustrated format. Dan, let me let me jump in.
1: What gave yeah. you the idea for the amazing, remarkable Monsignor Leotard? I mean, you yeah. know, why not a kind of super? Maybe Mr. Monsignor Leotard is a superhero, but what, you know, why
0: that idea? Okay, so it really came about because he, I'm a bit of a history nut as well, and and I was looking back at kind of historical figures, and I went to Cirque de Soleil, and I was and and I was watching these guys at Cirque de Soleil, and And I was going, I wonder where this all developed and and the whole kind of performance part of it. And I did a bit of history and I learned of um, this guy, um, Jules Leotard, who was basically the the Elvis of the late 1800s and really um, uh, was kind of the pioneer of the trapeze. Um, So um, he was the first... Um, he was actually the first um, artist or trapeze artist at the time to use a net. Um, And he used a net because he wanted to be able to go higher and do more elaborate tricks. So that gave him a bit of a safety net. So um, I basically said, look, why don't we do um, a historical tale about this guy, leotard, because he invented basically the leotard um, as a means of accentuating his body. And Mm -hmm. that kind of, that brought me to a connection with superheroes because it was like superheroes wore these tight costumes <laughs> um, to accentuate their features as well. So basically, what we so from there, um, I said, Daddy, look, this guy, he's just amazing. He's he's he invented the trapeze, he invented the leotard, um, he, um, he did some uh, like amazing kind of marathon bike ride from Toulouse to Paris. Um, He just seems um, like a crazy character, but he died really young. Um, And we had this kind of concept of using this kind of Elvis superhero character and putting him in unique events throughout history um, as a character. So um, we ended up uh, saying, well, we can't use him because – he dies, like, when he's 30, so he can't be at these kind of significant points in history, a bit like Baron Munchausen and mm-hmm. the adventures of Baron Munchausen. We can't have him in these significant points in history because he's, he died really early. And I said, oh, don't worry about that. We'll just make it his son. So <laughs> it, the, the whole concept is this guy dies on page three. Like, Jules Leotard dies on like, page three and kind of hands this legacy over to his son who continues his adventures. So... Um, Eddie, being um, another bit of a history buff, buff, loved the idea as well,
1: um, and that kind of started the idea, and it developed from there. Oh, what do we mean? I'm, I'm guessing this is for adults, or is it? Who reads it, and what feedback do you get? It's it's definitely for adults, um, but
0: obviously it's because the way it's because it's obviously uh, in a kind of comic form format the. I suppose the the, def- the default is people think kids can read it, but, yeah, it's definitely got a lot of adult content.
1: So what can we lo- – what well, I'm fascinated by is you're a lawyer. Lawyers specialise in, in, forgive me, impenetrable pages of jargon. It's yeah. always the written word. They pride themselves on the quality of their English to the point where us mortals don't know what they're talking about. And, and here we are talking about comics and picture books and – I guess my question is, is the legal profession missing out or are we adults missing out on the benefits of words and pictures combined?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, and I'd probably go back to what I was saying earlier that I felt my creativity stifled in the profession um, because, A, I didn't really, I kind of felt a little bit embarrassed about you know, using comics and being interested in comics, but also I didn't have that outlet, that creative outlet. And I, I think after that point in time where I kind of met Darren and I met these other people who were interested in that f- format, that creative format, I actually felt myself improve as a professional. I felt that I was more creative in my day-to-day professional life um, because I just it was like this kind of blockage. Had come from from my kind of psyche, and uh, and immediately I could be more creative, and I was using more both sides of my brain in my everyday life.
2: Um, I think that's really interesting, and I got I want to ask you a question about the process. Before I do that, though, I was just Chris, you know, the conversation you were just having about whether it was a kids' book or an adult's book. I was recently doing some research on my own about Dr. Seuss. Um, and the very last book that he wrote uh, and published a year before he died was called Oh, the Places You'll Go, which is this book, which was written for adults. It was one of the adult books that he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you buy it on Amazon now and it's from yeah. ages four to seven. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. But it's a, it's it's a go-to gift that they people give um, people when they graduate from college in the States, you know, so it's about these adventures. But that was a little diversion. I wanted to go back to um, your your process and also, you know, probably a little bit later about the law. But I understand the process that you went through with this was about uh, it's sort of a little bit us about in some ways. Can you just talk us through uh, h- how you wrote it with Eddie?
0: Yeah. So we basically um, had to do a pitch, obviously, to the publishers. So, and it kind of started off in the written form, but only in the sense that here's a very rough outline of where we're going. And we kind of had to do a sell to the publishers because we kind of went, we actually don't know where it's going, but it's <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to kind of do it as we go along. But here's the basic points in history that we're going to, um, going to uh, address. And it was... Um, Things about the um, uh, the Parisian. There was a there was a time when Prussia was invading um, France, and um, France was completely surrounded by Prussia. And um, there was a situation where all of the all of the um, circuses in France had to eat their animals. Because they were starving, um, <laughs> because the, stew. yeah, and 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 there was a recipe um, provided, and we put the recipe in the book. So there's a recipe for cooking up your circus animals. So it sounds horrific now, <laughs> it and, but um, it 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 was a point in history, and then that flows back into um, um, the um, the Jack the Ripper murders in England um, goes to the 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 robbery of the Louvre and the stealing of the Mona Lisa. Then they go into the Titanic and then they go into, um, back to America. And so we had these kind of distinct points in history, but we didn't really have, you know, the dialogue. We didn't have the cadence, I suppose, of how we were going to, um, portray all these great events with this character and his group of loyal followers, um, coming along. So it, It started just as some dot points. The publisher said, Look, having the publisher had an established relationship with Eddie. So he goes, Look, Eddie, I trust you. And Eddie kind of had said, Look, just leave it with me. Um, So Eddie would then kind of go and create the artwork based upon this outline. And then I would go over to Eddie's and he would show me. And then from that, I would go back and write a script um, that then would, you know, formulate, you know, the word. the the word dialogue, and then also inform kind of where we're going next. So he'd go, look, I've got these three panels. What do you think? Yeah, that's good that we've discussed that. And then I I went back and said, oh, look, we'll put some – here's a dialogue to go on there, Um, and this is is where I think we should be going in the next three or four panels, and then he would go on from there. So he was really, I suppose, the navigator of the ship um, in that sense um, with a creative process. And then I was kind of adding, yeah, what I would call the cadence um and then the the i suppose the I would do the research and the historical research around it, and the dialogue that goes from there
1: it's wonderful i what i'm what i'm struck by the fact that each working in, in, fact, in different media, which I'm guessing allows you to collaborate. If you were both working on the words, I imagine there may be moments you say, no, I just disagree, or this isn't how I see it. But the fact that one is working with images and the other working with words, am I right in thinking that's what helps a creative partnership?
0: Uh, you're exactly right. And I think that's what made it this book successful and I think you have to take into context that it's also the non-traditional way of writing a graphic novel as well. A, a graphic novel is traditionally, you go to an author, an author creates a script that's very much like a TV script in the sense that every panel is explained, that the artist is given instructions as to what's to be depicted and also instructions on what the dialogue is. So, And then that script is it's very linear. In its approach, it's you, you know I I'm, I draft the script, I give the instructions, and then I hand it over to the artist, and then the artist um, kind of follows those instructions, and he has a little bit of creative license, but it's really the author of the mm. script that's driving the creative process to a certain degree. It this was a completely collabor This was a completely collaborative process, which I think allowed us to produce something that was quite unique.
1: Interesting. It reminds me, I once went to one of those conferences, I think it was um, South by Southwest or Festival of Dangerous Ideas, and, and where people get 15 minutes to do their presentation. One of the speakers, he sent his PowerPoint charts in advance, mainly pictures, but he hadn't turned up. And the conference organisers, to their credit, said to everyone in the audience, "One of our speakers hasn't turned up. He's actually going to talk about the history of photography, and he sent all this stuff through. Does anybody want to give his presentation for it? You've only got the pictures, though. We don't know what the script would have be. been." Yeah. <laughs> the person that volunteered, it wasn't me, stood up, did a fantastic presentation, uh, yeah. just using those pictures. So a bit like that, I guess.
0: That, that's exactly right. And I, I found that um, as the the I suppose the book was actually allowed to be a true collaboration and a true balance of Eddie's creativity and brilliance um, and my, um, I suppose, love of history and ability to, um, I don't know, use, use
1: dialogue in a quite witty and quirky way. So you, you mentioned that it influenced work. Uh, that you felt more able to be creative. But was there anything that your clients or colleagues would actually have seen rather than just an inner feeling? Have, have they have it actually physically changed the way you work or the way you collaborate? Um,
0: I was more visual in the sense that um, I'd never used things like a whiteboard or a flip chart before. Um, I was always very in my head when it came to providing advice and it went straight from my head to the keyboard onto the advice. And I started um, using a, a like a, a whiteboard and a flip chart to draw out scenarios and use shapes and use, just have my hands working in conjunction in a different way to the keyboard um, to kind of express my ideas and my thought processes. So yeah, it definitely manifested itself into something different in the way I actually did my work.
2: So, um, Dan, it, it manifested differently. and I think that's really interesting because again, it's a little bit the other way around, you know, it starts with the images. Um, you were a lawyer, how long were you a lawyer for? But then you actually, you morphed into something else. So uh, is this a related story or totally uh, different different I, ch- chapters? I, I,
0: I think it's all part of the same journey um, and this, the, the evolution, I suppose um and i've never really thought about that until we kind of um we we spoke paul in in that um i was still a a lawyer when leotard was published um and it it, it changed my life um in the sense that um i was exposed to this whole different world um of collaborating with artists and collaborating with different people um we, we were flown to San Diego for Comic-Con to do the release. Um, it was um, an incredible experience. We kind of sat on Comic-Con panels um, and I was just exposed to this whole different world um, and then developed this passion of just interacting with different people from different backgrounds, um, which I didn't really so much get that in the legal profession. Um because you kind of you generally you work in a, a different kind of professional type, and you associate with the same professionals, and I was exposed to this whole um, different um, aspect of people with creative types. Um, and so, um, not that I got disgruntled with being a lawyer, I just wanted to change. I just wanted to pivot a bit, um, and that kind of was in conjunction with a new family at the time. Um, and I live, um, and I also. Um, I'm a Ipswich boy, so I'm Ipswich born and bred and love my hometown. So there was an opportunity to work closer to my family so that I could kind of expand my kind of creative pursuits as well and be a bit closer to the family. So I ended up working, um, continuing to be a lawyer, but at the Ipswich City Council um, and then developed from there um, into an executive um, at the council over 10 years um, and really developing this kind of, love and passion of interacting with people of all types creative and professional um which then led me to being now the ceo of walter consulting group
1: I'm, tra- I'm trying to think where where we go wrong in the maybe it's the education system i don't know but there's kids understand pictures picture books they draw they look at pictures adults encourage them to use pictures and then we sort of, there's a moment suddenly arises where you're not allowed to pictures anymore because um, pictures are for kids or kids, pictures aren't proper where where did we get wrong where what should we change
0: oh uh, when you were saying that I was just thinking all through my university training four years at, at at law I don't think I ever looked at a picture I don't think it I don't think a picture was ever presented to me apart from a diagram or a pie chart or a graph or something like that I don't think I ever it was ever anything was ever depicted in pictures ever, um, and then I, I suppose it's probably that st- that dilution starts in in high school and then culminates in a complete dilution. You know, depending on your profession, obviously, um, in university, and I think we do. Go, I think I think it's we do go wrong.
2: I suppose uh, they use pictures in mugshots in law.
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> They're not very
2: creative,
0: though. Uh, well, <laughs> and be good of of had you could ask them to be creative, I suppose.
2: Well, as long, long as you weren't on that end of the uh, spectrum, but that's probably more along, the, along Chris's line of photography. Uh, yeah. So uh, so do you think there's, um, you know, ha- having said that and you studied law, uh, I suppose two questions or two parts of the question, You know, if you if you could go back and do it again, travel back in time like your uh, mate Leotard, uh, you know, what have you done, Law? And the second part is that, you know, what did you learn the law that has helped contribute to what you're doing now, and also that process of the book. Um. So, in terms of would I do things differently? Um.
0: I don't think I would. I think I've had such a great experience in my career. Um that I wouldn't want to risk it um, going back in and changing it and doing a whole back to the future thing and <laughs> and it all it all pans out quite differently. Um, Marty,
2: Marty, it's your kids. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> We've got it, this it, Leotard it, thing, what do I do with yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you know and,
0: and if, if I would have kind of came out of, you know, high school and said, Oh, I'm gonna do an arts degree and and you know, studying English literature or whatever, I, I don't think I honestly don't think it would have set me on the path that I am now, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to be honest, I don't think I would have been as successful um, because I think the law and when I studied law, that one of the great things about law is it teaches you discipline. Okay, it te- and it, it's a very disciplined based um, profession, and it it teaches you a, a very specific um, way to it's very diagnostic in its approach um, to thinking. Um, you have a set of symptoms and then you take those symptoms and you apply some research and some law or knowledge and then you get an outcome or an answer. And I think that way of thinking just helps you in every aspect of your life. Mm. Um, and so that combined with, um, a, you know, a good dose of creativity... Um, really helped me be kind of the the holistic kind of professional that you know I believe I am today Um, I think it's just more of a matter of you know providing avenues in that you know university of environment that don't stifle the creative types that come through law because there are and 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 you see them you know lawyers are you know Half the, lawyer, half the people you see on MasterChef are, are lawyers because <laughs> they've got this stifled kind of creative streak yeah. in them that's just yearning to find a forum to get out.
1: Do a lot of lawyers have a something else? Because I'm, I imagine... In, in the legal profession, there's a, there's a lot of very bright people who may feel like you, a bit stifled, and therefore they have to express themselves. That Maybe they're great chefs, maybe they act, maybe they write. Maybe uh, Do you find that? I mean, you, you wouldn't assume it when you meet a lawyer and you see those sort of... I pa-
0: 100% found that. A 100% found that. I found a lot of the people that I found in law um, had a different creative flavour. A lot of musicians... Um, we had a band that we we formed during university, and and you know they were all kind of law students. Um, like you said, great chefs, um, painters, um, yeah. and uh, and artists, and who who kind of have it always within them, but it just seems to be more an outlet that helps them survive rather than being part of their everyday. A manifestation of their everyday kind of cycle,
1: their everyday way that they go about doing things. It's interesting what you said, though. I, I, I'm sh- I can imagine even if you didn't, if you admit to your work colleagues that you're an actor or an artist or a chef or something, that that feeling of creativity would would infuse your work, even if you didn't feel confident enough to share that. Um, it sounds like it's an important foil for any professional to have some kind yeah. of creative outlet.
0: And that's exactly right. And if you have ever seen some of the leading QCs and barristers, they're all all great actors because it's a performance. (laughs) Because it's a performance to convince the jury and the judge that your legal position is correct. That's not to take anything away from the intellect that's required to be a QC, um, but they're they, they do need that sense of flair um, to be able to be persuasive in their argument
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, we have had uh, so we had Simon Cleary who's a barrister uh, possibly a QC who's a novelist uh, as well and has published three books on in an episode previously put it in the show notes but it's it's very interesting in, in him sort of you know talking about this same sort of dynamic I suppose in some ways so uh, So that's very interesting. So, so Dan, um, so you're there now. You're CEO of Walters, who are uh, consultants in planning and surveying and and all sorts of things. So, uh, a fairly creative bunch. Um, uh, What's your approach in terms of, you know, what what's your sort of?
0: I love the idea, and I'm trying to promote the idea of being ideas rich and, and if, if as an organization where ideas rich it just helps us um, I suppose be thought leaders um, when it comes to um, new and uh, new issues and 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 things that are impacting our industry and our ability to perform our work so one of the ideas that I'm trying to foster um, or I suppose key behaviors that I'm trying to foster as a leader is is um, it is this concept of candor and just being very um, open and honest and transparent about how you're feeling and your ideas and expressing those feelings and ideas to um, in a very respectful way? Because if we're open and honest about how we're feeling, what what our thoughts are, what our feedback is, we then become ideas rich. And then we become, we move from being ideas rich to thought leaders. And that's where we want to be. So, this whole, I, I, it's the free exchange of ideas that that really is what I'm trying to promote within the organization.
1: It's interesting that I, I, you're connecting ideas and feelings. And we know from some of our other podcast guests how important that is, how, how feelings are so often ignored in the world of business. You're not, you're not allowed to have feelings at work, of course not. But actually, the way you're feeling, strongly influences the kind of ideas you have and the way other people respond to those ideas is critical because if you're not given a safe space to express yourself and you don't feel confident to say what you think you don't you don't say those things and therefore your ideas get squished and you end up with a bunch of effectively robots who just do what they're told to rather than thinking and growing
0: you're you're exactly right and one of the things um that the, the commentary at the moment about the great resignation and people, you know, longevity and jobs and in the main message we're getting from the industry experts are saying, oh, you, you need a workforce that's engaged in what they do. Now, engagement is about feelings. Engagement is how how do I feel as an employee about the work that I'm doing? Um, so you, you're dead right. It's about, you know, It is about feelings because um, if our, you know, younger generation, our millennials and new generation, if they don't feel engaged or inspired, um, and these are feeling words, these aren't, you know, I'm not using words like, you know, intellect and and IQ. Um, If you don't feel engaged and inspired, then um, they're going to move to somewhere where they are.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'd love to ask you about... An image. I mean, we we've been using words to, to communicate with each other. Obviously, yeah. uh, This is a podcast, which is going to go out as a as an audio vehicle. But you know, we, one of the things that's excited us about talking to you is the fact that you've written this book that was started with images and ended up uh, with words as well. If if you is there an image that brings to life this idea of feelings, and ideas for you. I'm I Actually, on my laptop, I've got the front cover of your book. Maybe that's the image you've got, which <laughs> has got a beautiful, I'm guessing it's a watercolour of a face, um, a man with a moustache, I guess is Monsieur Leotard. Yeah. I don't know if that's what he actually, but is there an image that brings together, brings to life this thought of ideas and feelings for you?
0: For, for me personally, it would be um, a treble clef. Um, and and because um, I, I'm also a massive um, lover of music um, and as a way of expressing myself. And the treble clef is the first thing you see at the beginning of a journey into a, a composition of music. And it's the first thing you see is that image. And for me... Um, Music um, is a way of expressing your ideas, um, as well as your feelings and emotions. And it's just when and somebody, you know, Chris asked me this question twenty years ago about, you know, can you just write in a symbol how you're feeling? And I and I drew a treble clef, um, and that's I just think it's not so much about the music. It's really, it's the treble clef is the promise. Mm. That in the future there'll be something beautiful and creative and inspiring to come.
1: Beautiful. So, so Daniel, you mentioned the treble clef. Having been talking about pictures, what does music mean to you? Um, yeah, great
0: question. Um, like I said before, the um, during um university, I was singer in a band, um, and we played for like four years together. Um, that was a massive part of my life, and I also um am. I, I conduct uh, a male voice choir um, quite regularly, amateur choir, um, and I just find music um, as well as another creative outlet um, combined with um, you know my other kind of love of of comics and and the and um, artistic expression. That way, it's a, just a, another kind of way I can use um, creativity to guide and lead people and it's kind of it's quite a quite a um ironic probably not so ironic that you know i'm in this ceo role where i'm kind of conducting on a (laughs) day-to-day basis but in a different way um and and, but oh and now i think about it not so much in a different way because i I conduct with a great amount of flamboyancy and expression and and everybody knows just from the expression on my face how i'm feeling because I wear my heart on my sleeve a bit. Um, And I think on on an office day-to-day basis, I think it's pretty much the same.
1: (laughs) I just want
2: to for the listeners just to describe something there. When you said, when I'm conducting, you're waving your pen around uh, (laughs) a a lot like a a baton. So uh, it was was quite good. Um, Dan, we were speaking earlier uh, before we started the podcast about your uh, experience in the council. And and the role that creativity played again in in changing your life. Yeah. So um, I was at council for ten years, um,
0: and I, I found as I became more and more immersed, it, it's one of those kind of situations where you know life you get so busy with life that and just you kind of forget about what what's true to your core and. I really became so immersed in, you know, my career at council, raising a young family. We know how hard that is um, and the amount of time and effort that that takes. And it got to a stage that that I really hadn't created for a long time. I hadn't probably, it would have been about three years since I'd put pen to paper. Um, And that happened to coincide with a really kind of dark period Um, in my life um, where professionally things weren't going to plan. Um, And I really struggled mentally um, and I uh, got diagnosed with major depression um, and acute stress disorder. And it was only, I think, because I used creativity as a solace and I used creativity to drag me back um, and find that part of my psyche that made me happy or my consciousness that made me happy that really only got me through that probably significant part of my life. Um, and now I think looking back, I probably shouldn't have never down tools, I suppose, mm. when it came to that aspect of my life.
1: Well, I think anyone who's a parent knows what the the stresses of building up a family are and how those kind of things can quickly go by the wayside. I I was reminded of one of our other guests, um, a photo artist that was on our show uh, called Ralph Curl. And he had a high powered job in the advertising uh, industry, uh, but gave it in again for the same reasons. And he now produces beautiful photographs. They look like effectively watercolours but they're actually photographs and for him it's it's solacing creativity it's gives him so much more happiness and satisfaction than working away in advertising that's
0: right and i think it then gave a renewed kind of purpose to me to make sure that i don't ever lose connection with that side of myself that i continue to you know work with my my boys in the the choir and and keep writing my ideas down and 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 jotting my ideas down and um yeah i've got some i've just started formulating some great ideas with um to come forward and i've kind of reached out to former publishers who's going who basically saying damn where have you been you know what's what what have you been doing and and um and
2: so look you know potentially watch this space well that's fantastic well, that's probably a, a good place to uh call it up. we're gonna we're gonna watch this space yeah. for your future publications uh, yeah. thanks for being so open and sharing you know the ups and downs of mm, create, not create, your creative journey um so thanks dan for being a, a guest today on the show
1: so I, daniel thank you so much triple claire feelings ideas ideas rich culture and how to do a would you call it a comic I have a, a, a novel with pictures I've a graphic
0: novel now. yeah
1: graphic novel
0: thank you very much nice to meet
2: you both and thank you for um having me on the show today yeah great
1: thank thanks dan
2: thanks that was a fantastic discussion chris what a uh, what,
1: what a great guest on the common creative a, a fountain of insight fountain of insights i i, I learned about creative collaboration i, I learned about mental health and creativity which is often I think overlooked and, and the the importance of just for your own well-being being able to express yourself both at work and outside of work. so fantastic
2: yeah look what I found really uh insightful Chris was the thing about collaboration and and I, and I think he's the pin-up boy for this whole idea about the pragmatic and the creative uh you know the things that he learned the discipline as being a lawyer how that's helped him, you know, in his creative pursuits, and but when he didn't follow his creative pursuits, then he had mental, mental health issues. So I think a very open, uh, transparent discussion. Uh,
1: yeah, it was great that he that that he shared all that stuff with us. I hope there's going to be lots of comments. Uh, I hope people are going to subscribe. Um, I hope they're going to tell their mates about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments. Please drop us a like.